Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. The last couple of weeks I've been talking about revival, but I wanted to get back today on talking about God's uh, uh, financial plan for us and, and uh, take it in, in a little bit different direction than we've gone in the past. But I want to read this chapter. There's one verse that I want to get to, and that's verse number 18. But I think it would help us understand verse 18 if we read the pre- previous verses. In uh, Deuteronomy 8, verse, we'll just start in verse 1. Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe. Now, somebody said, no, you're reading from the Old Testament or living in the New Testament. I, I, I went to Bible school. I'm aware of that. <laughs> and uh, just stay with me. There's an application here. Amen? Amen? He said, every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. I want you to notice that word fathers. He swore to our fathers. Uh, and you shall remember the Lord your God And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he may make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word which proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. You remember Jesus quoted this scripture, amen? So I think it'd be good for us to read it. Uh, he said in verse four, your garments for 40 years, your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. Now hold your place right there, just a little side journey. Turn over to Deuteronomy 29, verse number five. Notice he said your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. Deuteronomy 29 verse five says, and I led you for 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you and your sandals have not worn out on your feet. How many of you are still wearing sandals from 40 years ago? (laughs) One sister over here is, praise the Lord. How many of you have walked every day for 40 years in those sandals though? You have, well, praise the Lord. I need to find out where you buy your shoes. They were, the children of Israel were on a journey for 40 years. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and their clothes did not wear out. And their feet did not swell, nor did their sandals wear out. You talking about God's provision. God took care of the children of Israel right down to their skivvies. I mean, right down to their shoes. Isn't that right? God takes care of us. If we'll just trust him, he will provide for us. Amen? And so let's go back to uh, Deuteronomy 8 again. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your feet swell these 40 years. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity. 
in which you will lack nothing. We're talking about a prosperous plan. Amen. God wants to prosper his people. He said, I'm taking you into a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing. A land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Notice God wants you to eat well. Amen. Uh, beware, he said. Now, this is very important. He said, beware. I mean, he, he rehearsed the fact that he had brought them in or was bringing them in to a place of abundance. Can everybody see this? Is, he described abundance. He said, I'm bringing you into a place of abundance, but beware. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God. Now, how does that translate over in the New Testament? Remember, we read in in, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul said, exhort those who are rich among you not to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. So there's a New Testament uh, uh, corresponding principle here. He said, beware that you do not forget the Lord your God and, and by not keeping his commandments, his judgments and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses, and dwell in them. Does God want his people to have beautiful houses? Evidently he does. Amen. Beautiful houses and have dwelled in them. And when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, does God want you to have all these things? He said, just don't forget the Lord when this happens. So this is what's supposed to happen to the people of God. He said, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through that great and terrible wilderness in which there were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land which, where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock, who led you in the wilderness with, fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know that he might humble you and that he might test you to do you good in the end. Then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained gained me this wealth. Notice God intends for his people to have wealth. God intends for his people to be wealthy. Wouldn't, wouldn't, uh, uh, a land that is, is very productive, wheat, barley, vines, fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, honey, eating bread without scarcity, lacking nothing, uh, uh, beautiful houses, herds and flocks, multiplying silver. And that, that indicates wealth, doesn't it? I like to do this. This is the way I've marked this in my Bible because there's, in these verses, there's a lot of parenthetical concepts that are kind of put in that sort of explain what's just been said and and sometimes you can lose the flow of the main points. I like to read it like this, verse 11. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God, verse 12, lest, verse uh, 14, lest when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God, verse 17, then you say in your heart, see, if you forget the Lord, If you forget God while you're being blessed, your heart will then get lifted. If you're not remembering the Lord, you'll start remembering yourself. Amen. 
Your heart will then begin to, 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 to get lifted up. You will forget the Lord your God who delivered you. Then you will say in your heart, this is the progression. This is how people get into error. Then they'll begin to say in their heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. That's the process. That's the process to failure right here. Wealth and riches do not trip people up. It's forgetting the Lord that trips people up. It's the love of money that is the root of evil. It's not the money because God promised us wealth. He promised us riches. He said, just beware. Why, Why did he say beware? It's because it's tricky. You have to be, he's saying, be careful, be watchful, because this will happen to you if you're not careful. You will begin, if you begin to get your eyes off of the Lord and on other things, your heart will then begin to be lifted up. You'll begin to look at yourself and say, ooh, look at me, look what I've done. Boy, do do I not have a fancy car. I have the fanciest car on the block. All my neighbors admire my car when when I drive by. They all go, ooh, look at me. That's the way the natural mind thinks. You begin to think, look at my yard. My yard looks nicer than everybody else's yard. And look at my clothes. I am just so proud of my clothes. Your heart starts getting lifted up. You start thinking, what, what happened to the man who, who had the, uh, the rich man and, and he didn't have room in, in his barns for all of his uh, income? He said, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll big, build bigger barns so that I can store even greater things. And I'll just take my ease and, and I'll sit on my porch and I'll just look at all my stuff and look and say, ooh, look at what I've provided. And the Lord said, you're a fool because you're gonna die tonight and then all that stuff you provided is going to somebody else. Amen. It's of a certainty we cannot carry it out of here. Isn't that right? Amen. That's why he said, be careful that you, that you do not forget the Lord. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Remember to, to give him honor. In all of your income, in all of your blessing, be careful always to honor God, to thank God, and to put him first. If you'll do that, wealth and riches will never trip you up. That's right. Then you say in your heart, my power, verse 17, and the might of my hand has gained me this will. And you shall remember the Lord your God. See, that's the key, remember the Lord. For it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. Does God give people power to get wealth? I said, does God give people power to get wealth? says right here, to, talking about the children of Israel, he did. Now, here's the key. I know there are always those people that will say, well, you know, that applies to the, to the old covenant, to the Old Testament. Yes, God promised financial and material prosperity to the Jews under the old covenant, but, but not under the new covenant. We don't see as many promises. Now, we see some promises in the New Testament, but not nearly as many as in the Old Testament. So they say, well, in the New Testament, you know, it's not that clear. God doesn't always want. I had somebody tell me one time, and, and uh, she said, she was a member of the church at the time. She said, you know, I don't believe God intends for everybody to drive a Mercedes. And, and in my ignorance, I thought, well, that sounds about right. I said, well, yeah, I agree with it. It probably doesn't intend for everybody to. 
Then later I got to thinking about it. Why would he care what I drive? God doesn't care what you drive. He doesn't, if you want to drive a Mercedes Benz, if you want to drive a, a, some other kind of really exotic car, if you want to drive a Chevrolet, it doesn't matter to God. He doesn't care. He doesn't, in other words, he's not taken by your success. He's not impressed, nor is he offended. But he wants you to prosper for a purpose. He's not interested in your things. He's interested in your heart, but he is interested in what your things accomplish. How you use what you have. Now notice, he said, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth for a purpose. Notice the purpose. That he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. Now, again, there's that mindset, that traditional thinking that says, well, this is talking about the covenant in the Old Testament. But you have to understand, you know, we have an old covenant and a new covenant. The Old Testament's the old covenant, the New Testament's the new covenant. But the term old covenant is a term man gave. God didn't call the Old Testament the Old Testament. Man did. Now, the Bible speaks of the new covenant, but it doesn't speak of the old covenant. It just speaks of that which was old passing away. So we call that the old covenant, but you have to understand there are eight covenants in the Bible. Seven in the Old Testament, and then there's the new covenant in the New Testament. The, the covenants in the Old Testament, there was the, the Edenic Edenic covenant, which was the covenant that God pronounced in the Garden of Eden. And that's a general covenant that applies to all of mankind. That's when God created man and gave him dominion in the earth. There was the Edenic covenant, the covenant that God made with, with, with uh, uh, Adam when he said, I will send the, the uh, seed of the woman who will redeem you, the blood that, you, that I've shed with this animal to cover you, there's a greater one coming and the seed of the woman will bruise the serpent's head. So there's the covenant God made with Adam. There is the, if I can remember them all, there is the uh, 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 Mosaic covenant. God spoke to Moses and, and gave him the law and entered into covenant with Moses and the children of Israel. Uh, he, he, there is the, Abrahamic covenant, which we're going to talk about. There is the Palestinian covenant, covenant, and then there is the Davidic covenant. You know that God's made some promises to David that there would always be a king that would sit on his on the throne, that his kingdom would come uh, would would never come to an end. And Jesus came as the son of David. Jesus fulfilled all of these. And then we have the new covenant today. I said all that to say this. He said, you shall remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers. You'll see that phrase if you read the Old Testament, particularly in the law, but even in the prophets, over and over again, you'll see that terminology, the fathers, that which he swore to the fathers. Well, sometimes he identifies who he's talking about. Sometimes he doesn't. When it said here, the covenant that he swore to their fathers, he wasn't talking to, you know, the generation. He, he was, he, he, when Moses was giving this 
law. He gave it to the children of Israel who had just come out of Egypt. When he said, when he referred to their fathers, he wasn't talking about their immediate father, you know, or their grandfather. He was talking about the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and and Jacob. Look over at uh, chapter 6. Look at verse 10. So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. See, that's who he's talking about. When it talks about the, the, the covenant that God swore to the fathers, he's talking about the, the covenant of Abraham. God entered into covenant with Abraham. Abraham passed that covenant down and that blessing down to Isaac. Isaac passed it down to Jacob. And then God called Jacob. Remember, God changed Jacob's name from Jacob. Said, no longer are you going to be called Jacob. You're going to be called Israel. So the Abrahamic covenant is what we're talking about. The covenant that God swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build. That's part of the Abrahamic covenant. Houses full of all good things which you did not fill. That's the Abrahamic covenant. What do you, what do you mean you did not build and you did not fill? God gave you everything. See, that's part of that not forgetting the Lord. That's, that's, that, that is that concept of not saying in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand has gained me all of these fun electronics. <laughs> this big screen TV. Yeah. Amen. This nice uh, ranger boat. Amen. Or whatever your things are. He said cities that you did not build, God provided them. Houses full of all good things, nice electronics, which you did not fill. Hewn out wells, which you did not dig. Vineyards and olive trees, which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, then beware lest you forget the Lord. Is he talking about the same thing in chapter 6 as he was talking about chapter 8? Sure he is. Here's, here's the thing I, I'm wanting to establish. He gives us, he gave the children of Israel the power to get wealth that he may establish the covenant that he swore to Abraham. He's talking about the Abrahamic covenant. So what in the world does that have to do with us today? You have to understand, if you read the, the book of Galatians, and we won't take the time, but it's in the third chapter. Go through the third chapter of Galatians real carefully. Well, let's just, let's just make this point. Turn with me to Galatians 3 because there is a verse there that you must see. Galatians 3. What in the world does the Abrahamic covenant have to do with us today? Everything. Everything. Look at verse number 16. And to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, singular, who is Christ. When God entered into covenant with Abraham, God was looking for a man that he could enter into covenant with in the earth that would fully obey him. You know, in order for two people to to enter into covenant, they both have to be faithful. If, if either of them is, is not faithful, then the covenant is violated. 
God had to have a man in the earth that he could enter into covenant with in order to bring blessing into the earth because mankind had turned over control of the world to the devil. Through sin, disobedience, Satan became the ruler of this world. Well, God, in order to get back in, God had to find a man that he could work through. Well, Abraham was just a natural man like you and and me. You know, he was subject to fail. But God tested him. You remember? He blessed him, promised him a lot of things. And then at the end, he said, I want you to take Isaac, your only son. And I want you to travel to a place, to the land of Moriah, which if you study that out, that's the general area of, of Jerusalem, the region. He said, I want you to go to a mountain to which I will show you. And it says that, that Abraham took his son and God said, I want you to take your son, your only son that you love, and I want you to sacrifice him on that mountain. Now, you can't prove it. I can't prove it, but you, you can't disprove it. It says that when, when, when Abraham took his son and journeyed, when he saw the mountain of which the Lord spoke, I believe that was Golgotha. I believe that was Calvary. You, you, like I said, I can't prove it, but you can't disprove it. But if God sent him to that area to offer his son as a type of the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe he offered him on the very same hill that Jesus was crucified on. So he took Isaac up there and... Uh, uh, Isaac, you know, Isaac was about 16 years old. And not only was Abraham willing to offer his son, Isaac was willing to lay down his life. Because they're on their way, you know, and Isaac looked around. He said, now, Dad, he said, uh, we have all the wood for the sacrifice. We have the fire in our hand. Evidently, they had some kind of a, you know, carrier of fire, you know, sensor or something. And he said, "Uh, but where's the lamb? Abraham said, the Lord will provide himself a lamb. So they went up on the mountain and they went so far as they, they, they put the, the, the wood in order. Abraham took his son Isaac and bound him and laid him on that altar. Now, you know, you'd have to be a little less than, than normal to not realize what's about to happen to you. You've been tied up and laid on the altar of sacrifice and, and Abraham's got a knife in his hand. How many, now, how many 16-year-olds you think are just gonna lay there? I, you know, when my boys were younger, when they were little guys, we, we would roughhouse, you know, Steve and Greg, we were always playing and wrestling, you know, and, and, my, and Angela would say, take it outside, take it outside. We're knocking stuff around in the living room, you know. Take it outside, you know. And, and I would, I could kind of, you know, hold them at bay, I'd, I'd hurt them a little bit, not seriously, you know, just make them cry a little bit every now and then, you know. <laughs> and, uh, but I noticed when they got in their teenage years, particularly in like later in high school, I discovered I better start backing off a little bit <laughs> because I discovered that they can hurt me now. <laughs> and I know I, in my maturity, I know when to stop. I wasn't so sure they would know when to stop. And so I realized I can't quite strong arm them and, 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 and do everything with them at 16 to 17 years old that I could when they were eight and nine because like I said, they can hurt me. Well, you know, Isaac a, is, a, is a strong young man. Ordinarily, such a, in such a case, the, the young man would say, hold off, dad, you've lost your mind. 
I don't know what you, I think I know what you're planning and I'm not, I'm not going to be a part of this. Isaac was willing to lay down his life and Abraham was willing to take the life of his only begotten son. God tested him to find a man that would do that. God then entered into covenant with Abraham says here in Galatians that the promise was not just made to Abraham, it was made to Abraham and his seed who was Christ. God looked down through the ages and knew that one day a virgin would conceive and bring forth a son, glory to God, and he would be the son of God. And he was the seed of Abraham. The, the promise was really made to Christ. Let's go on down. What purpose then, look, verse 19, does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions. Now notice, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. God really made the promise to Christ when he promised Abraham the whole Abrahamic covenant, everything he promised, he promised to Abraham, but he was looking through Abraham at Christ. Now, Verse 26, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in union with Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. The new covenant is the Abrahamic covenant fulfilled in Christ. That's what the new covenant is. It's the Abrahamic covenant fulfilled in Christ. So when it says in the Old Testament, go back, when it says in Deuteronomy that God gave the children of Israel, the power to get wealth to establish his covenant. Well, the covenant he was established is the covenant we're in. It's the Abrahamic covenant that we're operating in today. Well, if it required the people of God to have the power to get wealth to establish the covenant then, what would make somebody think it doesn't require his children having the power to get wealth today to establish his covenant? What does it mean to establish the covenant? It means to make the covenant stand, to make it, to, to make it uh, something that is seen and recognized, something that's functioning, something that's firm and sure and steadfast. Well, God wants the new covenant, which is the Abrahamic covenant fulfilled in Christ, God wants the new covenant to be established in the earth. How does he do that? He gives his children the power to get wealth that he may establish the covenant, that the gospel can be preached. That's why I spent so much time before exhorting and encouraging those who have the tendency to think, well, I, I have a good little life. You know, I've got, I've got, a, I've got a nice income. I, I, you know, we, we, uh, we live pretty comfortable. I've got a nice home and a, and a nice new truck and... and uh, you know, I can take vacations, you know, a couple of times a year and things are, things are good. That's, that's not, 
looking at the covenant. That's not looking to see the covenant established. A heart that wants to see the covenant established realizes that I need to have more wealth so that the covenant can be established in a greater degree. The reason the gospel hasn't been preached as it should be around the world is because of a lack of finances. God God wants you and me to think differently about money. He wants you and me to think, listen, that, that God, wants me to, God wants me to prosper so that I can do something for him. Now, it does mean taking care of me. Notice he said, beautiful houses, beautiful cities, abundance of everything, eating with no, no lack of anything, silver, gold. In other words, God wants us to prosper but our prosperity has a purpose and that is to establish the covenant in the earth, the gospel, the preaching of the gospel to get it established. It's gonna take more than me just having a few nice things. It's gonna take more than me having a decent car and a nice house. It's gonna take me having a surplus, an abundance, a super abundance. God wants all of us to to get to the place where we actually have a vision for abundance. Super abundance. Are you talking about millions of dollars? Yes, I am. Well, I got about three amens. Do you see yourself as a millionaire? Do you see yourself prospering to the point that you are uh, in the top percentage income earners in America? Do you see yourself there? If you don't, you need to grow. You need to stretch yourself. If you don't see yourself there or or having the capacity to get there, if that's not part of your vision, I don't want to offend you, but can I say it this way? You're really living selfishly. If you're just thinking about enough to get by, you're living selfishly. God wants you to have more than just enough to get by and more than just enough to have a nice life. He wants you to have so much that he can put a demand on anybody at any time. Give to this missionary. Support this work. Give to this project. Send gospel laborers here. Do this for God. Build this house. Build this building. Well, praise the Lord. God gives his children the power to get wealth, but we have to exercise that power. He will not do it for us. We can sit back and just be comfortable and be satisfied. And I believe if we do that, we'll stand before the Lord and and, and, and the judgment. And he'll say, what did you do with the power to get wealth? How much wealth did you acquire for my kingdom and for my work? Well, I had two cars. My mortgage was paid. I had a vacation cabin. Yeah, but how much above your needs did you funnel into the work of God. How many missionaries did you send? How many 
gospel works did you support? How many people got saved as a result of your abundance, of your wealth? Well, 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 well I, I, I want to I be able to, to come before the Lord and say, listen, you gave me these 10 talents and I brought another 10. Glory to God. I want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't want to be the one to say, well, I, t- I took your blessing, you know, and I, and, I, and, I, and I had a nice TV and I just, you know, I kept it, you know, I kept my car polished and in good condition. And the, the illustration that we have, the, the, the judge said, you wicked servant. You took what you had and you hid it in the earth. Oh, he had a good income, but you didn't produce anything with it. Well, praise the Lord. A little heavy in here this morning. (laughs) Oh, hallelujah. I just want you to see there's more for you. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Now, the power to get wealth what, what is that power? God said, I give you, I have given you the power to produce. That where it says get wealth, that literally says the power to produce. God gives us the ability to produce wealth. Now, if you're, th- if you're, thinking, if you're thinking in the natural, you're thinking, well, God gives me the ability to work real hard. Well, he does, and, and working hard is a virtue. It's a, it's a biblical virtue. The work ethic is not something that, you know, came from Americans. It, it's in the Bible. It's a good, you know, uh, principle that's, that's in, found in, in the Scripture. Uh, wisdom in the natural to uh, uh, invent things and, and have businesses and, and flourish. God does all of that. That works over in, in, in the natural realm, but the real way to produce wealth is by giving. I knew you'd get on that tough subject before it was over. There are always people that come, you know, come to church once, you know, in six months, and every time they do, yeah, the preacher's just preaching on money again. Well, well, if you're thinking that, let me ask you this: How does what does your what does your household operate on? I'm guessing it operates on money. The things that you have, you know, the lifestyle you have, it's based on income, isn't it? And if you don't have all that you want, you're looking for more income. Well, why would, why would the work of God not be based on the same thing? It's based on income. Now, God says, I give you, I've given you the power to produce wealth. And that power is in giving. There's a, there's a principle in the New Testament it's called giving and receiving or sowing and reaping. Both of those mean, the, each of those mean the same thing. Giving and receiving sowing and reaping. God intends, that's the way, that's the way the windows of heaven open. That's where the, the witty inventions, the resourcefulness, the uh, 
uh, ability to, to, to create new businesses and to thrive. That's where all of that wisdom comes from. It comes as a result of our giving. That's where the power is. Amen. Now, it stands to reason. I don't know why anybody, I don't know why. Is this just me or am I sounding echoey? No? Okay. I don't know why anybody would be surprised to think that the Bible would teach or preachers would teach on giving. I mean, if, if, God, if God wants us to give, it just stands to reason that the fundamental place he's going to want us to give is into the work of God. I mean, why would he want us to give, why would he want us to give our money to the world? Just to give, you know, I don't know anything about St. Jude's Children's Hospital or the Shriners, you know, Children's Hospital, but just taking the TV commercial and face value, they're doing a great work. But they're not preaching the gospel. The boys club and the, and the, and the girls club in, in Alachua County, I, I guess they're doing a great job, but they're not preaching the gospel. They're not getting people saved. And you can go on and on and on. There are a lot of great charities, but they're not getting the gospel out. God's most fundamental purpose in, in our, our, our uh, procedure for giving is to give into the funding of the gospel. And there's power in that. There's power in, in giving to the gospel. There's power to get wealth. Supernatural power. I mean, I can testify, many of you can testify over the years of giving faithfully, just giving faithfully, God has performed miraculous and wonderful things in our finances. I mean, God has come through times when there was no way, there's just no earthly way, we don't know what we're gonna do in the natural and God just brought income and blessing to us. How many of you can testify to the same thing? It works. So we shouldn't be ashamed of it, nor should we be afraid of it. God has ordained giving and receiving as the process, to, and there's power in that process to produce wealth. And the things that we do with our physical ability and our mental ability and, our, and using our talents and so forth, all of that is energized and empowered when we put God first with our finances. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, there are, there are uh, five kinds of giving authorized in the Bible. And again, it just makes sense that God would tell us how to give. And it makes sense that, that fundamentally giving would be into the gospel, into the work of the ministry. Because that's what he's doing in the world. God's not building uh, giant corporations. God's not building airplanes or, or you know, General Electric. God's, God's not the CEO of General Electric. God is the CEO of the church. It's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ that is the, the, the channel and the method God and the, and the body and the work God is using to bring his plan to the world through the church. Praise the Lord. Well, it's not remarkable or surprising then that giving is gonna be centered around these things. Number, like I said, there were five kinds of giving 
are authorized in the Bible. Tithes, that's 10% of your income. General offerings, and that's just offerings to any kind of project that uh, would be our ministry or any kind of work of God uh, would, would be covered by offerings. And then there are specifically three uh, offerings to people, to ministers who minister God's word to you. That can be, you know, traveling ministers or anybody, you know, that, that uh, ministers the, the word to you. And then four, offerings to missionaries. That's ministers who minister to other people. And, and then five, giving to the poor. And when the Bible talks about giving to the poor, if you, if you look at the examples given in the, oh, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, both of those uh, uh, testaments, giving to the poor was always the poor among the people of God. I've said it before, the children of Israel did not have a Meals on Wheels program to the Philistines. Are you following me? It was among the, among the children of Israel, the poor in the nation of Israel. In the New Testament, when, when uh, uh, Jesus and his disciples gave to the poor, they weren't going out and giving to the Romans, they were giving to the Jews, they were giving to the people of God. In the, in the uh, Acts of the Apostles, when collections were taken up for the poor, it was the poor in the church. God never intends that our money fund works of darkness. I'm going to say that again. God does not intend for his people's money to fund works of darkness. And that is people who operate in darkness. We're not to support things that are contrary to the church. Amen. Now, I, now when it comes to giving to the poor, I know God is merciful. There are times when God has led me to give to a poor person that I knew weren't, they weren't saved. Because why is that? Well, God is merciful. And, and God, uh, I don't know what God's doing in somebody's life. They might not be a Christian now, but they might be tomorrow. And so I'm gonna obey the God. I'm gonna obey, I'm gonna obey God and the leading of the spirit. But fundamentally and primarily, I've noticed when he leads me to give to someone in need is somebody in the church. I'm talking about in the body of Christ. Sometimes he will lead me to give to somebody out in, you know, in the, in the, out in the world. You know, I'm just out you know, about my business and the Lord will inspire me to, you know, to give somebody, to bless somebody. Almost every time I've discovered when I start talking, because I just talk to them you know, before I give them the money, I'm gonna find out you know, what they're doing. And when I start talking, I come to find out they're Christians. They might not be in fellowship with the Lord, but they're believers. Well, you know, that, that, that's in, a current, that in agreement with what Paul said, that we should do good to all, especially those of the household of faith. Well, praise the Lord. So there's those five tithes, general offerings, offerings to missionaries, offerings to any minister who ministers God's word to you, and then giving to the poor. And uh, next time, we'll look at each one of these because God's got something to say about every one of them. And... I tell you, my wife and I have been tithers for how many years? About 46 years, we've been tithing. And I tell you what, God has proven himself to us over and over 
and over and over again. We've been giving generously in offerings. You know, when the scripture we read so often there in 2 Corinthians 9, or we have recently, uh, let each one give as he purposes in his heart. That's not talking about the tithe. That's talking about general offerings. And, uh, and so my wife and I, you know, over the years, we've, we've developed. We didn't, we didn't always have this. And we didn't always operate in generosity. But over the years, the Lord has encouraged us and helped us to be more and more generous above the tithe to just give uh, when the Lord lays something on our heart to be open to what he, what he says. And sometimes he, he impresses us with things that we like, really, God? I would rather have bought something else. I've had something on my mind that I was looking forward to buying and you're messing my plans up. Uh, but my wife and I over the years have moved more and more. It's progressive in, in just responding. Just be generous. Just give and trust God. I'm telling you, he pays it back over and over and over again. He just keeps paying it back. Praise the Lord. So uh, if you're afraid of giving, I-, I want you just to come to the services, you know, and as, as we teach on this with an open heart because I-, I can testify and many in this house can testify there's power. Giving unleashes power to get wealth. That's what does it. Giving unleashes power from God to get wealth. God gives the power to get wealth. Well, that has to be his power. It has to be supernatural power. It's not human power, it's, nat- it's supernatural power, and it comes as we give. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.